Yeah, I think that's the downfall of zero waste as it's kind of posed on social media, right? It's like, it's one person doing their own thing. And yeah, it's not enough. Um, So I have been trying to probably in the past year really focused on the community aspect of it and like that pains me like I like to sit alone at home on a computer (laughs) Uh, but the truth is right we have to get uncomfortable if nobody else is doing it like it's gotta be you Um, so yeah I think it's so important to not be the only one in this fight right not just like for your own mental health but like me alone doesn't do anything. Um, So for me, it's looked kind of two different ways. And I think you can, you can obviously do them both or focus on one. So the first is to kind of go through traditional channels and like focus on policy. And the other is kind of recognizing that that's eventually going to break down and how are we going to have like strong resilient communities so that community building and mutual aid aspect Mm. um and so like i really couldn't care less about the policy but i think it's important so i engage with it um so to me policy looks like um usually on a local level right my voice on a national level is nothing my voice in a town of 70,000 people is a lot louder. Um, So I highly recommend that people are going to city hall meetings, as boring as that sounds. (laughs) Uh, It's weirdly fascinating what they pass, millions of dollars, just doing whatever, and nobody's paying attention. Hey, 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 friends. Welcome to the Naked Podcast. I'm your host, Martisa Williams. In this space, we'll explore a whole range of practices for our individual and collective freedom. My entire life has been spent soaking up practice after modality, after protocol to free my body and soul. Join me in conversations with the world's foremost thought leaders on topics ranging from health to sex to spirituality to justice. So, are you ready to get naked with me? Well, let's talk about it. As you'll see from this episode, living a more sustainable life is all about just making different choices. But it's great when you can make a different choice without giving up something that you love, like your favorite wine. My friends over at Living Roots Winery just released their house wine program, featuring blends of various styles in refillable bottles. Yes, that's right, refillable bottles, just like a growler, but for wine. When you bring the bottle back to the tasting room, you can get $2 off your next one. This white blend that I'm drinking is primarily Riesling, Gewürztraminer, and Traminet with pretty floral aromas, tropical fruit, zesty citrus high notes, high acidity, and a bit of spice. It is so good that I'm gonna have to go back and get my uh, bottle refilled in a minute. If you're not in Rochester, go ahead and go to livingrootswine.com and use code NEKKID, N-E-K-K-I-D, at checkout for 10% off. Again, that's Living 
rootswine.com code naked for 10% off. And if you're just going down like me to the store, let them know that I sent you and enjoy that wine because I sure did. Let's get back to the show. Hello, hello. It's Thursday again, y'all. Welcome back to the Naked Podcast. How have you been? I have been deep in um, creation mode for the intensive, and I'm getting really excited about it because there's a great group of people that are going to be joining me on this first adventure, and I'm really looking forward to it. If you just so happen to be listening to this on the day that it comes out, you are welcome to um, still sign up for a discovery call to see what this is all about and sign up if you'd like. Um, but registration does end tomorrow. So if you're li- listening to this past Thursday, I'm sorry. Hopefully, hopefully we'll uh, see you on the next round. So um, what's new with me? Other than creation mode, I have been using... Um, my happy light from Vera Lux, which the seasons are changing here in Rochester, New York, and um, we're getting a little less sunlight. I mean, the sun's still been out, which has been nice, but the weather's getting cooler, the leaves are changing, the seasons are, the fall season is among us. So I've been using my happy light every morning from Vera Lux, which is supposed to help with. Um, seasonal affective disorder and uh, mood, uplift uplift your mood, give you some more energy using um, a full spectrum light that is mimicking sunlight. And I use that every day um, within the first four hours of waking up. And I'm finding it useful, especially um, with a little bit of a boost of energy um, so I will report back on that as, it, um, as I use it throughout the season, just to let you know how it, if it really moves the dial for me as far as seasonal affective disorder. But other than that, Books and Yoga has been moved. So we're reading uh, Beyond Survival, um, and I'll link all the information in the show notes, but It has been moved to November 15th, so if you're interested in joining us, Books and Yoga is a book club that I co-founded with my dear friend Hannah, and um, we highlight books by people of color, um, and specifically books that help us transform and understand the new world that we're trying to create. So for November 15th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, we will be discovering and diving into um, Beyond Survival, um, which talks about the transformative justice movement. Um, It's an anthology of essays on what it looks like to move to a transformative justice model away from a punitive justice model. So if you'd like to join us, Link will be in the show notes. Um, we discussed the book for the first hour and then we practiced together an asana yoga practice afterwards. So join us if you'd like and you're interested. Plenty of time to still read the book, so check that out. Let's jump into today's episode. So our guest today is Polly Barks, who is a zero waste and sustainability educator and advocate. 
She started leading a zero-waste lifestyle in 2015 after experiencing life in an Indianapolis community where affluent trash gets left behind. She began to explore how zero-waste could be both high-impact and accessible regardless of income, background, or location. Since going zero waste, she's combined her education background with her passion for sustainability to become a zero waste educator, reaching over 40,000 people every month on her site, polybarks.com, and teaching everywhere from food banks to universities to libraries and beyond. In this episode, we dive into Polly's journey to zero waste, how movements can be intersectional, the food dilemma about, you know, do I go vegan? Do I not go vegan? You know, all of that. Reimagining our solutions to zero waste. Um, and then we kind of go into like how to be zero waste, like different ways and different areas of our life that we can switch to um, lower our waste and our trash. And then resisting overconsumption and overbuying and overpurchasing and zero waste. Um, and then how corporations are really the culprit. And it's like, we can only do so much as individuals. Um, it's really about what these big companies are doing and how they're treating the earth. And so then we get into some political organizing, mutual aid, and wealth redistribution as a um, sustainability issue. This is a great episode. Polly and I had a fun time recording it, so I hope you enjoy. Well, hi, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the first question I ask all my guests, um, just to kind of set the scene, is like, what made you you? Yeah, I thought I, you sent me that question. And I was like, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I kind of thought about this. And I guess the thing I kept coming back to is that I want to know all the things. And I want to solve all the problems. And I feel like if I just learn enough and I just think through it enough, like I'm going to find the right answer. And I think that has been kind of my experience through my whole life. Um, so yeah, that is a big driver for me. And I think just kind of all my different experiences have kind of shaped me into focusing that in one direction. But yeah, I think that's my big driver. I don't know. So I'm, just, I'm assuming that that was a big driver in getting you into sustainability and environmental justice. Yeah, for sure. I think like I definitely sometimes felt adrift because, mm -hmm. and I think we can all kind of relate to this of like, we have our, our skills or like our passions. Um, and like for me, I like learning things, but I would apply that to like 50 different things with no <laughs> real, uh, direction and so finding sustainability was like oh yeah this is something I can focus on all the time so that was kind of nice <laughs> cool like so then tell me your path because you're so knowledgeable you're now doing obviously consulting work and things like that um what was your path into kind of learning all this information yeah kind of random um I like don't have any science or um you know, environmental background. So, I, you know, like if I can do it, anybody can do it because <laughs> I, I didn't get the training. Um, you know, I was like the first one in my family to go to like a real college. Um, mm -hmm. And so I went, you know, liberal arts because that's, you know. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, so I, I, I got my degree in Russian studies and international relations and I went to Russia and I ended up living there for five years and taught and then kind of my, my two sustainability stories. The first one started in Russia and I used to live in this apartment that looked out over a park um, and I was really excited because they got these bins there were like four different holes for like paper, plastic, metal, trash. Um, and there was never any, any recycling in Russia. They, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's just not what they do. So I was like, wow, so progressive, really exciting. <laughs> so I take my stuff and I do, 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 do. Um, and then one day I'm looking out the window and I watch like the sanitation workers flip up the bin and it's one huge bin. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And so I was like horrified. That was kind of like my first inkling, right? Of like, we can do the right thing, Mm. um, but we can't always rely on the systems to work correctly or to work effectively. Uh, So that was kind of my my first thing. Um, And then when I came back to the States, I kind of stayed in education and I was working like in residential facilities with kids with severe psychological or behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And the big thing for me was really just living in a community where trash was everywhere. You Mm -hmm. know, as, as someone being pretty privileged, I had never lived somewhere where trash didn't get taken away. Um, and you know, it's, it's that super trite phrase, right. But like trash doesn't go away. It just goes somewhere else. Um, and I was in this community where there was trash. That's where it landed. Um, and I was working with kids, like some of the therapy programs were in a community garden. Some of them had never seen like a full tomato on the vine. Mm. Some of them didn't know what a cucumber was. And I, I had been, you know, dipping my toes into zero waste because of the trash and plastic impact but then I was like well like why who cares what is in my trash can if these (laughs) kids in my neighborhood like have never seen a fresh tomato or like wondering where they're gonna sleep tonight like what does it matter right right, um so yeah that was kind of my progression and and you know once I was in India I started diving into zero waste in the way that like you know somebody in a non-traditionally sustainable area without much money could do which Mm -hmm kind of like force that nuance. It's not just like mason jar of trash. Right, right. I was making trash. So yeah, <laughs> that was kind of the long, the long start of it. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I think it's interesting because I feel like the sustainability piece in comparison to like, I'm sure our parents in our generation, it's much more in our face. Like we need to be on this. Um, But it's also very interesting to watch specifically in the age of social media, how it gets co-opted by capitalism. It gets co-opted by like getting clout or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's bizarre how like our movements kind of get co-opted in that way. Um, But like you said, like if, you know, it's cute, you have your reusable bag, but there's, there's kids in our neighborhoods that don't even have access to any any of the things that we take for granted. I'm really interested in, because I think you're one of the first people that I've heard kind of acknowledging the relationship between sustainability and these other like social justice movements and like how um, you had posted the other day about like um, 
what was it like the uh, universal income being a sustainability, um, uh, a piece of sustainability. And I'm like interested to know your, your kind of thoughts around all of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely am not the first and I, I learned from so like so many great people and like, particularly, you know, like black indigenous people of color, we always say like, none of this zero waste stuff is new. None of this social justice stuff is new. They've all been doing it. But you know, when like a white woman comes along and talks about swaps, which like, I'll freely admit, I came in early and on Instagram, and I got like 15,000 followers within a couple of months. And I was like, what? (laughs) 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 Um, You know, so I'll freely admit that I, I, I'm certainly just learning from a lot of truly wonderful people. Um, but I do, yeah, I started exploring zero waste in 2015 and I, you know, it was, it was the same thing, right? I was talking about like, Oh, bring your zero waste kit. Um, and you know, you know, do trash audits. And I I still think that's all super important. But, you know, when I was like, I couldn't afford a car and I was carrying this jangling bag of (laughs) glass items on a bike to get to work at six o'clock in the morning, I'm like, oh my God, is this the max that I can do? Because I'm going to lose my mind. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I do think since 2015, we've really started to see kind of a swing in the movement, um, which is great. I would say maybe in like, the last year and a half or two years, but particularly now, you know, with, with like the explosion of Black Lives Matter and like bigger focus widely on, on um, like social justice issue issues, I think we see those intersections more clearly. Mm. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I don't know. I just think it's so easy. Like I can have a conversation with anyone on anything and (laughs) whether they like it or not, like it comes back to sustainability, Mm -hmm. um, which I like, right. It, it affects every facet of our lives. Um, and so things like great universal basic income, well, sure that's economic, but it's also when, you know, when we're not forced to work and, buy into this capitalist system, we can step back from producing for the sake of production. Uh, When people have their basic needs met, well, we can get more people to the protests or to, you know, to city hall because they don't have to work three jobs and they can start making public comment. So it really all makes sense um, because we really can't think about these higher level issues like the climate crisis important but existential but also like if you don't have food on the table or your electric's getting cut off tomorrow doesn't really matter unfortunately yeah um yeah so i think there's there's been a lot of growth in the in zero waste and sustainability and that's that's exciting to see because i think it it needs to happen yeah i completely agree it's so interesting to think about like what I've been, I saw this post the other day, there was something around like, you know, I don't have a dream job because I don't dream of working. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Lord, is that, (laughs) is that not touching me down deep? (laughs) But I just think I dream about like what it would look like to not have to like work in order to eat. And that piece of like having just more space, like having more mental, emotional space to be able to problem solve, to be able to educate, to be able to do all these other things. Um, one of the things I've been really getting into these days is um, like foraging and herbalism. So yes. I've, been, 
outside a lot because I live in an apartment and my baby tomatoes, like they're just not super happy living on my balcony. Um, so you yeah, know, I don't yeah. like, <laughs> do so much like uh, farming, but um, getting out because I live in upstate New York, like there's so much land to experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually talking to another podcast guest about this, but um, the fact, like the fact of the matter is, is like in order to like really care about something on a deep level, you have to have a relationship with it. And I think unfortunately, so many of us are so removed from our relationship to the earth. We're Mm -hmm. removed from, you know, where's the waste going? Where's the trash growing? We're removed from our food system. We're removed from all these things. So it's like, how can you care in like a really tangible and active way? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the hard part, I think. And like, for me, I live in Indiana and like, you know, like a liberal enclave, which questionable. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's like, it's, it's really hard to impress upon people like the climate crisis, because, you know, the truth is we as like, white, predominantly working middle class people in the Midwest in America are not the first and worst affected by the climate crisis. So it's very hard to make that connection even here, which is interesting because we have a lot of farmers, but we're still kind of divested and we don't have that connection. And yeah, like how can you care about something that we, we just have been shown like this is to extract material and provide things for us. Like that's it. There's no give and take. And it's, it's scary. It's very scary. And it's, it's hard to build that kind of relationship in, in a meaningful way, quick enough to like, make it the worst problems right absolutely yeah and I think also it's like these movements like the movement for black lives and um all these other movements they're kind of based off of dismantling these systems that say like you know we are means of production or everything around us is for a means of production including Mm -hmm. the earth you know like and I think for me, that's where I kind of see the intersections. But um, before we go too far down the rabbit hole, I do want to talk a little bit of science. Like, just for those that are like not thinking about sustainability, they don't know that we're like going straight to hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, for those folks, I kind of want to talk a little bit about climate change, about the food industry, and um, just kind of pick your brain, like, knowledge wise. Um, I don't know if there's any particular place you want to start in talking about it but oh my god I don't even know um (laughs) where to begin right um yeah I don't know I guess I guess for me the thing and I hate to say this because I like it's hard for it to be your first introduction but I think we need to recognize that like we have gone like science shows that we have gone past the point of where we can go back to normal like Mm. if we cut down our carbon emissions right which is like driving flying food uh building blah 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 um if we cut it down to zero today we would still have really truly awful effects of the climate crisis because there's still carbon that is you know going and trapped and is increasing our global temperature Mm. um so it's scary to realize, but for me, a little bit freeing is that we, we are, yeah, we're going to hell. <laughs> we're screwed. <laughs> like, 
And so I think that in some ways frees us to start thinking really radically and thinking like we need to recognize like that in 10 years, in 20 years, our world is going to be radically different and it's going to be painful regardless, but we can choose to embrace the change and build like resilient communities that will be able to somewhat mitigate the effects or we can like cling on to what we're doing right now, which like not that great (laughs) like really not that great um and and continue to like ramp up and exacerbate these problems so yeah that's it's that like the world's most depressing starting point (laughs) right (laughs) I think I keep thinking about because I you know I'm always thinking about food and the food system um because I I, okay, so I struggled a lot with, um, like, you know, this, I, words, what are words? Okay, so I would go vegan, like, every Mm. six months, I would go vegan or vegetarian, and then, like, feel like my body was, like, just struggling, and then go back to eating meat, and go back and forth. The biggest reason was because of, like, the climate crisis, it's because Mm -hmm. of the sustainability crisis. I I went to Australia um, last year, and I came back. And when I came back, I was thinking about like the coral reef that I got to, I got the privilege to swim in. That's like gray. It's not supposed to be gray. You know, I was like staring at this thing that I've seen so many incredible pictures and whatever, whatever. And they're talking about how we've done all this damage to this incredible piece of landscape. Then got to visit some penguins, which I didn't know Australia had penguins. And like talking about their population is instable because of the warming of the oceans and all these things. And I came back and I was like, I can't be a part of this. Like that's really when my zero waste stuff kind of blew up because I was like, I cannot be a part of like me and my plastic over here is affecting all the way across the world, all these things. And um, so I think a lot about food. And I would go back to being vegan, not vegan, vegan, not vegan, whatever. And where I kind of settled in a space, I'm interested to know your thought around your thoughts around these things is sustainable, sustainably raised meat, thinking a lot about regenerative farming and just thinking about like monocrops in general, like it's not necessarily just about if you eat meat or not, but like this whole monocrop situation. Um, And then um, that's when I, started getting into hunting and thinking about like actually having these like really intense relationships with the planet and with the animals on it. But I'm interested to know your thoughts around the food industry, specifically meat and its effects. Yeah. Well, I guess the first thing I'll say is like, I think in some ways it's a good thing that uh, regardless of our diet, like you or me, being a hundred percent perfect vegan won't save the planet. Um, so like in some ways it's like you, you, there's this weird like duality of like, yes, we all need to do the most, but also like the, the people that are emitting the most carbon and doing the most damage are, you know, these large corporations and we are just stuck in their system. Um, but that being said, right. Like the, the way that we choose to consume and, where we put our money does matter to some extent. Um, But yeah, the food systems are really interesting. And I think a lot of times zero waste can get super prescriptive. Um, The same with like veganism. Uh, So I personally don't 
ever comment on people's dietary choices. Uh, for full disclosure, I've been a vegetarian my entire life. Um, okay. So that was easy for me because I got born into it. So that was kind of cheating. <laughs> um, I, I'm mostly vegan now. Um, I, my husband works in a kitchen, so he'll bring home stuff that we'll eat. Like I'll eat cheese then, um, but he's not. Uh, but yeah, so I think the 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 vegan is always better is not a good argument. If mm. if if we ever talk in absolutes, it's like oh let's let's dissect that a little bit. But right. yeah, I mean I think when we when we think like ideal diet, you think of that vegan and they're you know eating the Beyond Meat and they're they're so woke. Um, but then you really have to start digging into what's going on behind that. Well you know, all of the, the soy, uh, that's behind all these vegan products, like you said, are monocropped. Um, where in nature do you ever see one gigantic field of corn? <laughs> so like, like, it's not natural. That's right. really productive. Um, and you know, we're clearing forests, we're clearing like the Amazon, uh, right. to, to start monocropping to, you know, meet this global demand. And, you know, we're, we're clearing land in, um, the global South typically, uh, which is already pretty marginalized, uh, by us up here. Um, <laughs> you know, so I think there's, there's a lot of nuance that is very difficult to say like, yes, this is the best answer. So like for me, I try to go local as much as possible. Um, I try to avoid animal products whenever possible. Um, but again, like this speaks to my privilege. Like I can walk down to the farmer's market in the summer, or if not, like go to the grocery store. Um, where I lived in Indianapolis without a car was uh, food insecure, uh, which meant I had to walk a mile and a half one way to get to a grocery store. Mm. Um, and the produce was not great because I mean, if you've ever been to like an urban grocery store, it's not great, uh, very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so then we, you know, you just have to start thinking, well, where's the privilege in dictating other people's choices? So I, I don't know. I think it's difficult, but I definitely think that that vegan, not vegan dichotomy is like the totally wrong way to look at a holistic diet. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because I'm always thinking about like, the needs of the body versus like the needs of the planet and trying to kind of reconcile those two things. And it's, it's really, really hard, especially when I was just thinking about, you know, um, for those that don't know what monocropping is, it literally just means like what Polly said, like there's only one crop. Yeah. Come to Indiana. I will show you. <laughs> and corn, 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 corn. Right. For miles. And what, what happens is it, and you, you tell me if I, I have this wrong, but like, you're literally depleting the soil. You are taking out, you're taking out all the nutrients from the soil and not putting back the variety of nutrients that's needed. Right. And then you think about, right, they're spraying pesticides, um, which is killing the bugs, which are very natural part of, part of our systems, right? You're destroying the trees and the grass that other animals would be in. So you're really like depleting the entire ecosystem and causes flooding because there's no deep structures there to, to mitigate a lot of water. It's just, it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's hard. It's hard because it's like, oh, well, can't eat 
meat because you know the methane gas and all this stuff and the the food and all of that and then you're like i can't eat vegetables because (laughs) (laughs) well that's like what you have to come to terms with right and it drives me oh i can't do it because i want the right answer and there's no right answer and that's the most frustrating part is you when you operate in an imperfect system you're always making imperfect choices right right which is very depressing, but true. <laughs> so this question was not on your list, but I'm just interested to know your answer. In a dream world, if you can dream up what our system would look like, specifically with sustainability, and not all of the like, little pieces of it, but what would it look like to you or what would it resemble? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, I think the first like easy one is we would be carbon neutral, um, right? Which which means, uh, you know, energy powered by solar or wind turbines, maybe. Um, I I think we would be much more, um, I think there would be a lot more greenery in urban areas. Like, I think there's still, like, a lot of times we think sustainability and it's like, everyone has to have their own, like, homestead. And I totally don't think that's true. Like, some people want to live in the city. That's that's totally cool. Um, so I do think there would be, like, a diversity of options. Uh, for me, it always comes back to community. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived here for, like, three years and I have... I have like decent relationships with like two of my neighbors. Um, so I think we just don't have that now. I think that would be a lot of it. Right. And, and that would allow us to live a lot more easily. Right. Um, everybody could be sharing space to grow food. Right. We don't all have to like be self-sufficient people. We can, we can share and by building community that makes it easier. Right. That also begins to address like the societal problems, right. Stronger communities, we get rid of police, Uh, you know, we, we eat better. So we have less medical issues, you know, we don't work as much. So we have fewer medical issues uh, and we have the capacity to address them. So I don't know. I think like for me, sustainable is really focusing on local community without like losing that global aspect that I think is important. Um, but I do think it's going to be radically different. And I think people haven't come to terms with that, which is um, kind of the interesting part of the discussion on, on what the future looks like. Cause people still think, Oh, I'm going to go to work from a nine to five and like have three kids and going to have to go to the grocery store and drive a car. And I'm like, I'm not going to be like that. <laughs> right. So the sooner we can begin to dream like a nice reality rather than, you know, going up in flames, holding onto our steering wheels, like, <laughs> it's only going to be good. Right. I, I'm interested to also know about your, so when you're doing consulting work, when you're talking to folk, what I have found, you know, talking, I always call them like my baby boomer parents and I need to stop because, <laughs> <laughs> but like talking to my baby boomer parents about sustainability and how like, I was just literally just on the phone with my mom because we're going camping this weekend. And we're staying in a cabin that says it has utensils, it has plates, all those kinds of things. And she's like, oh, well, we're, I'm going to go to the store and get some paper plates and things. And I'm like, no, we don't, we don't need it. We don't need it. <laughs> and she's like, well, maybe I'm going to want three plates, you know, just being ridiculous. <laughs> the real wild. <laughs> right. 
And I'm like, okay, the issue is, is the convenience piece. It is the like instant gratification. I want it now. I want it the way that I want it. How do you talk to people about that in the sustainability space? It's such a hard sell, right? Yeah. Like you want this like super sexy answer that's like (laughs) Teslas and like everybody has solar panels. Like that's part of it, I guess, but that's, that's not the reality. Um, I don't, it's really hard. And I don't think I've like truly converted anyone. Maybe. (laughs) Um, I don't know for me and I, I am all about like data and research. And Mm -hmm. like, I know that doesn't like, Oh, sorry, there's a cat. (laughs) Um, I know that that doesn't resonate with everyone. Um, so I've been trying to get better about the human connection and like, figuring out people's passion, right? So Mm. like if we're reimagining, we're saying, okay, here's this problem. We need to solve it. It's going to be a big ask. Uh, The way that I have found people to be most receptive is by like making them indispensable to the cause, right? Mm. Maybe they like learned canning from their mom and they did that in like the 60s. Oh my God, can you come teach a workshop on that? Like, that's so cool. Everybody's into that now. And all of a sudden you've created this buy-in. Or, you know, somebody has a connection to a local official and you're like, oh my gosh, wow, you you have put in so much work in this community. Is there any way that I can help you and can we connect? Um, So I think think you can't expect a big win all the time. Uh, So for me, a lot of times it's just like sneakily bringing people into the fold and the more conversations you have and the more you can kind of model like like I I think I like I think I live pretty well I you know I it's fine I don't <laughs> we don't make any money we don't spend very much money and we're you know it's totally fine <laughs> um so I think the more that you can show that there is like a reasonable alternative that isn't super scary um you can start to build those relationships and make that change, but it's like very slow and very painful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of sounds like anti-racism work where it's like, yeah. okay, just yep. one brick at a time, one little chipping away at a time. There's no, there's no uh, sweeping list of being like, all right, now I'm fixing it. Now I'm yep. part of the thing. Solve the climate crisis. Check, check. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think, And that's why it just makes sense that, and there are so many people like in organizations doing great work, right, that have this intersection because it, like, of course it all intersects and these big issues and dismantling systems like doesn't happen with one person overnight. It's sustained and annoying and painful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. So what, um, I want to talk a little bit about how to be zero waste. Um, because that's what I'm sure everyone wants to know. And I want to know more of, um, so can we go, I'm going to go through different areas of our life and ways to do that. Um, so like, let's talk about food because that's just always the thing that's on my mind. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about food in the kitchen. What are some things we can do? Yeah. So, uh, I'll kind of contradict myself from what we talked about before, but generally, Mm -hmm. uh, like in a normal U.S. diet, if you can cut down on your animal product consumption, you will lower your carbon footprint. Now, that might bring up other issues, 
Um, but that is something to consider. Um, if you, oh gosh, I'm going to mangle this number, but it's something like if you cut out meat or all animal products for one week, uh, you save the equivalent of driving 40 miles in a car. So mm. it's like a pretty significant number, right? So 40 mm -hmm. miles in a car is, is quite a lot of gas. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a pretty significant reduction that you can do there. Um, again, not accessible for everyone, but for a lot of people, um, that's something to try. I think also just looking at food waste. Um, again, you know, if food waste... If the carbon emissions from food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of carbon behind the U.S. and China. Um, so, you know, taking that that food, uh, you know, like a couple leftovers on your plate and throwing it into the trash, that actually creates a greenhouse gas emission. Because mm. um, when it, you know, you tie it up, it goes to the landfill, you think like, oh, it, it breaks down and it rots. Well, if, you know, organic uh, matter doesn't have oxygen, it actually doesn't break down. So mm. instead it like mummifies and it releases methane, which is a really, really potent greenhouse gas. So one of the very best things you can do in, in your kitchen is to reduce food waste because um, that is such a huge, huge part of our problem. Um, not only from a carbon emissions perspective, but we've just devalued food so much that it seems like nothing to throw out. And you're like, oh, this cucumber went moldy in the fridge, dang, and just, um, so, you know, it begins to value like that, all those resources, right? Time, water, the labor of the people who grew it. Um, that's a lot for like a cucumber and yeah. you buy it for like 50 cents. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't add up. Um, so reducing food waste, uh, and then if you do have food waste, try to compost. There are lots of options for that. Um, I've done everything from when I lived in an apartment, like a five gallon paint bucket, uh, with holes in it. I, I composted there could do a worm bin. I have a big pile now. Um, so lots of options. And then you can use that for your garden. Yeah. That, the composting thing, I think, is really um, scary for people. Um, I did the same thing. I got a bin, threw some worms in. I mean, I don't know if the worms are still alive because I haven't taken care of my compost <laughs> at all. But um, and just like sat it on my balcony, was throwing stuff in there. Um, so I've definitely, I've also done that. And what's cool is that he, at least here in Rochester, we have two organization that does um, like compost, like where they pick up your compost, like they, oh, nice. give, they give you a bin, you can put it all in the bin and then they like kind of like trash, like come in and get, pick up your trash. It's very similar to that. And um, it's like $15 a month, which is like the price, price of Netflix, you know, not too bad. Um, and so that definitely is a resource for those that are in Rochester, New York, but I'm wondering if there's like other, like across the country, there's gotta be other composting resources like that. Yeah. So, um, Indy has a couple, Indianapolis has a couple of those. I think a lot of major cities have at least one service. Um, yeah, I think. I know in larger cities, they're often like compost drop-offs, either at farmer's mm -hmm. markets or maybe at like community gardens. 
Um, so that's worth a try. If you have a local community garden, it might be worth asking. Um, I actually like my friends just drop off compost on my front porch. And I <laughs> it. Um, so like, I think if you live, especially in a place where you have like a little bit of land, uh, somebody probably has a pile and they'd be willing to take it for you. So it's always worth asking on like next door or Facebook group, something like that. Um, Oh, have yeah, to get creative. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So question about that. Critters. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like a thing? Like you get some raccoons little situation in your compost? Yeah. Um, so mine is kind of set back. Like I, I okay. definitely wouldn't have like your compost sitting right next to your house. So yeah. Just asking for weirdness. Um, <laughs> ours is a little set back. Our, our yard isn't huge. Um, I have like gone out at night and there's like a raccoon sitting on top of it, like eating like an orange peel or something. <laughs> um, but I haven't noticed it to be that bad. Um, compost, if you maintain it, just like, you know, making sure that you have enough like cardboard or paper or dried leaves in there. It's really like not very stinky, um, pretty tidy and doesn't, you know, attract too many bugs. So it's, it's less scary than you think. Okay. Good to know. Good Where? to know. <laughs> <laughs> My little balcony compost had a whole lot of bugs and I was like, listen, I can't yeah. even, I can't even do this with you. Oh yeah. My compost is real, real weird now, but I'm taking care of it. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I take that blame. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Reducing plastic. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I always tell people to do, uh, is to do a trash audit. Um, and it's not, not super fun, um, but it's not super bad. And really like a trash audit is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, you're going to choose a trash can, um, either all of your house. If you don't make that much trash, if that seems overwhelming, choose one, like maybe the kitchen is probably, uh, a good one. Um, and you basically take everything out and look at it. And so I think a lot of times um, in sustainability and in zero waste, like we just don't even recognize that our habits are like out of control or like don't make sense. So I think you can't start reducing your waste until you know your problem. Mm-hmm. And like when I started and when I like we'll do a trash audit with an office. I'm like, oh, so what's in your trash can right now? <laughs> Nobody knows. Like who knows what's in their trash? I know what's in my trash can right now, but like most people have no idea. Right. So do a trash audit. I take everything out. Uh, I have a scale, so I like to weigh it. So I do landfill trash. I do um, compost and I do recyclables. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. You're fine. Um, and then you kind of take a look at it and I usually recommend you set like two to three goals. So if you see like, wow, I am really getting a lot of, I don't know, like a bag of apples. Um, so that like, we go through a lot of apples for some reason and wow, we buy that every week. Like that's an easy win, right? So you say, okay, next time I'm going to get unpackaged apples or I'm going to swap it out for something different. Um, so then you, you recognize the problem, you set the goal and you, you do it. And then I usually say like after a week re audit and after you've been mindful and kind of seen what's going on, what did you reduce? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, pick another couple goals and then just keep going from there. 
um, which makes it more manageable than like what I did was like, I'm never going to make trash again. My closest <laughs> recycling bin is three miles away that I have to take two buses to. I'm never going to throw anything away. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Not realistic. Um, so yeah, I think that the trash audit and just like setting manageable goals is a good place to start. Cool. Yeah. I mean, and then there's like all the things you can buy, right? Like yes. re- your reusable containers for takeout and all that kind of stuff. But um, what I enjoy about your work is you're always like, you don't have to, zero waste, you're not supposed to buy anything. Not, not, yeah. you're not supposed to buy anything. You're not, it's no going out and being part of this uh, deeper into the capitalist system. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. First of all, you're perpetuating this idea that like, you're, you're going to be better if only you buy the right things, which is like, so not a thing, even though I totally still believe it. And I have to work (laughs) against that all the time, but it's also like, if you start thinking about it, you're like, okay, so I'm going to get this glass container. And do you know how hot it has to be to make glass and how much Mm. energy that takes or like stainless steel. Like that is so much effort and so many resources being used to create this thing. And it's, um, gosh, who said it? Well, whatever. It's only, it's only single use if you use it once. Right. Mm -hmm. We think of all like the plastic bags under the sink that like grandma reuses a million times, totally counts as zero waste, right? Cause you're reusing them. Or like if you go and get a takeout container that's plastic, don't get rid of it and buy a new glass one for next time. Keep it and reuse it. Right. Um, so I do think there are certainly things that you can buy and I've bought stuff, but like resist the impulse to be your first step into zero waste is buying something, uh, you know, use what you have and really make sure that you're committed to it and you really have a true need and it's not just like, oh, I need a shiny new thing. Um, So like, yeah, I've, you know, replaced a, gotten a stainless steel travel mug because I looked forever in the secondhand stores and I couldn't find one. So I bought a new one that Mm. I use every day that has value to me. Cool. Um, But some stuff it's like, don't really need it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, How about energy? Energy. And that's um, a harder one. Yeah. Um, like in terms of just like uh electricity house. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a tough one, right? I because especially in the States, like we're super constrained by our energy providers. So right. I have big energy here. They're awful. Uh, they're really terrible they have like three percent renewable energy within their whole portfolio um so we are definitely constrained by that if you do have different options um i would highly recommend looking into which energy if you use gas or electric or even water uh you probably don't have water options but the other two you know, look at the companies available. And if you can make a switch to someone with a better impact, more reusables, uh, more renewable energy, uh, that's a good option. Not for everyone. Um, But yeah, I think just, again, that try to push against the convenience and the comfort. um, So that might be, you know, having the thermostat a little higher or a little lower than is comfortable, uh, you know, not running stuff all the time, uh, you know, in terms of like maybe driving and stuff, think about, 
you know, do you really need to go out and do something? Or do you really need to be powering such and such for some reason? So I think, yeah, I don't know. That's such a tough one because we're so constrained by the system of horrible energy providers. But yeah, you know, keep the air off as long as possible. Keep the heat off as long as possible. But again, there's only so much you can do. Um, I think there's probably... I guess for me, I'm always trying to weigh, like, what is a good use of my mental energy? Like, should I worry about that one degree on the thermostat? Or, like, should I call my representative? Right. So I I guess just try to balance that. But it's definitely a place to start. Yeah. And then I feel like water is kind of similar in that. Is there ways to reduce water usage or things like that? Yeah. So interestingly, um, I have a post about this on my site, but the most effective way for any person in the U.S. to reduce their water footprint is to go vegan. Shocking. Yeah. Um, Which again is like this thing of the thing we can see versus the bigger problem is probably what we can't see. Um, So yeah, because of all the water that comes with cleaning, processing, uh, feeding, and actually watering the animals, a huge water footprint, which I was shocked by, Um, (laughs) you know, but in your house, yeah, of course, like all the little ones, low flow, if you can, Um, you know, just, just being more conservative, maybe skipping a shower or a bath, I'm all about (laughs) that because I'm lazy. Um, If you do have outside space, I would highly recommend getting a rain barrel. So Mm -hmm. when you're watering your plants, uh, you're not just turning on the hose, you have saved water. I have a couple outside now and it's really nice. All all of that is just literally getting a bucket and sitting it out or is there... Uh, depends on how fancy you want to be. So I recommend getting an actual rain barrel. Um, I would check with your city. So our city, because I'm in a special zone, uh, they actually have grants that get $25 rain barrels. They're probably like four feet tall. They're actual barrels. Um, they're covered with netting on the top. Very important. So you don't get mosquitoes. Mm. Um, and you kind of just put a tube into your gutter. Um, so a lot of places have those options. Um, and I mean, it's it's a lot of water. Um, so if you get one good rain, it fills right up. And cool. it really does make a difference if you have, you know, outdoor plants. That's that's a, that's a good one. I haven't heard too much about rain barrels, so that's cool. Yeah, they're really nice. Highly recommend. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think, what other areas are there? Oh, my gosh. So many. Like... This is the problem, right? <laughs> I know. I'm like, what else? Well, everything. Everything you can do. Um, yeah, I guess. Let's see. What do I? So I guess like toiletries tends to be a big thing. I kind of try to focus on where people have a lot of clutter. Um, so the bathroom, right? We can just, again, you know, being mindful of like, do we really need to buy 10 different products when I really know I'm only going to use these two? Um, so it reduces packaging, but also breaks that consumption cycle. Um, you know, you can do the easy stuff like bamboo toothbrush. You can wash your hair with a shampoo bar or just water. Um, make I make my own deodorant. You know, it can be as easy or or complex as you like, but the bathroom does have like a lot of nice DIY opportunities that uh like when I was first going zero waste and was very, very broke, that was 
great. <laughs> Very helpful. It's like I can use baking soda for everything. <laughs> I yeah, I feel like that one too has like a twofold because then you're like not getting the toxins and yeah, just the crap that's in like our products. Mm-hmm. They're so gross. So I mean, that's environment's healthy and you're healthy. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think it it all it's all good. It all benefits. Um and it's really easy. Like I I am a very, I would say pretty lazy person. Like I don't like to go out of my way to make my life difficult. So none of them are super difficult. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, so I wanted to ask you about, um, like the justice and active activism work. So like, what can people be doing? Because like you said, mentioned earlier that, um, at the end of the day, we can only do so much as individuals and it's the corporations, it's the system that has to change in order for this bus to get to where it needs to go. So yeah. what can we do on a, on a political level? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's the downfall of zero waste as it's kind of posed on social media, right? It's like, it's one person doing their own thing and yeah, it's not enough. Um, so I have, been trying to probably in the past year really focused on the community aspect of it and like that pains me like I like to sit alone at home on a computer (laughs) Uh, but the truth is right we have to get uncomfortable if nobody else is doing it like it's gotta be you Um, so yeah I think it's so important to not be the only one in this fight right not just like for your own mental health but like me alone doesn't do anything. Um, So for me, it's looked kind of two different ways. And I think you can, you can obviously do them both or focus on one. So the first is to kind of go through traditional channels and like focus on policy. And the other is kind of recognizing that that's eventually going to break down and how are we going to have like strong resilient communities so that community building and mutual aid aspect Mm. um and so like i really couldn't care less about the policy but i think it's important so i engage with it um so to me policy looks like um usually on a local level, right? My voice on a national level is nothing. My voice in a town of 70,000 people is a lot louder. Um, So I highly recommend that people are going to city hall meetings, as boring as that sounds. (laughs) Uh, It's weirdly fascinating what they pass, millions of dollars, just doing whatever, and nobody's paying attention. Um, so it's a lot easier now, right? Because of the pandemic, most of it is online. So you don't even have to go to city hall. You can just hop on and watch. Um, so do that. Uh, when you see or hear something you like or don't like, contact your representatives, send them a letter, call them, email them, show up to their office. (laughs) Um, and yeah, things like that. Um, and and for me, what's been helpful is I, I started a group called Lafayette Climate. So we're a group of people who want our city to declare a climate emergency and enact a climate action plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for us, it even went so far as we hosted a community meeting where we said, okay, community, 
what are what should our city do? We're not here mm -hmm. to tell you. Let's let's decide. So we actually kind of created a policy recommendation for our city that we presented. Uh, they ignored, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know you keep pushing. Right. Um, so I think there are a lot of different ways to engage on on a local level. You know, show up to the meetings and call. Like you would be shocked at how much impact that has because not that many people do it, mm. and especially not like younger people, you know, when you start going to these meetings, you're going to see the same five gray haired dudes making a public <laughs> comment. So when you show up, they're like, Oh, okay. I'm listening. Weird. Right. Uh, when you show up with a couple friends, uh, then they really start listening. So that's pretty powerful. Um, and then, yeah, on the flip side where my passion really is, is my inclination is to be like, well, they're not going to do anything. I hate the local government. They suck why are we even wasting our time? Um, so for me, that swings to mutual aid. And uh, mutual aid is basically just this idea that help your community. It's not charity. Um, it's assuming that your community and the people in your community know their needs best. And so you are just meeting those needs. You're not passing judgment. Mm. Um, which I find really powerful, right? It's not a donation. It's not a handout. It's, hey, I have extra money. And this person says I need extra, they need extra money. Boom. Shared. Yeah. Um, so that could be something like a mutual aid group where you have like a PayPal pool. Uh, it could be something like a buy nothing group where people are just trading things for free. Um, yeah. I don't know. Just like, for me, a big thing is wealth redistribution. Mm -hmm. I think that's super important, especially for like white people with privilege. Uh, that's a great way to build community. Like I don't make a lot of money, but I, I am very comfortable. Um, so what little extra money I have, you know, I have a community garden out front. I have a free pantry that people come and can take whatever food they need. I, I make donations. Um, so it's really about finding what you enjoy. Like for me, it's food. I like feeding people. Um, so my, when people ask for money, like I always give money to people who want food. Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. I understand that need very deeply. <laughs> I totally get it. Like community garden, you know, if, if you are really into like sewing, like teach people how to mend clothing. Um, if, if you have like good technology skills, teach people how to like set up websites or, or use some program. Um, so it can be anything and it doesn't have to be money, but I think, yeah, forging those connections. Um, so you have a group of people to turn to, you know, when you want to push policy or when you need help um mm. is is so powerful and it doesn't sound like sustainability but it absolutely is yeah it sounds like it to me i mean because it's like sustainability of the community uplifting of the community and building i think the big thing is to me is always about building those relationships not only to the earth but to the humans around you so that you guys can all be in a better place to do the sustainability work um, totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, I am naturally like pretty negative. So I'm like, <laughs> burn it down. Like I have to step back and recognize like you can't burn it down without knowing what you want after. Yeah. Um, and so by creating that community and by pushing policy, you're like, no, no, I'm ready to burn it down because I got my list of demands. Like we're ready to go. Right. Um, so yeah, 
I, I'm being patient about burning it down, but I'm getting close. <laughs> at some point, at some point, I'll <laughs> be over cut. there with you. <laughs> so my last question um, is just what is lighting you up right now? Yeah, oh gosh. Um, I think for me, it's just seeing more and more people engaging with each other and kind of like I feel like I've been screaming for many years about like everything's broken like why aren't you paying attention do something (laughs) and so it's really like so exciting to feel like I have allies we have allies now and they might not be where I am but like they're now willing to listen a little more um And also, like, just I'm going to have fresh tomatoes soon, which is also, (laughs) like, the little joys. Very exciting. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm feeling, like, slightly, very slightly more hopeful than I have in a while. But it's a big fight, so we'll see. (laughs) Amazing. Tell everyone where they can find you and support you. Yeah. Um, So I am mostly on my website, polybarks.com. Lots of stuff. Uh, You should sign up for my newsletter. Uh, I do like quick uh, recaps so you don't have to read like my my essays if you don't want to. (laughs) Um, I'm also on Instagram, kind of. I'm poly.barks. Yeah. Come say hey. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm very honored. Absolutely. So what you think? I hope after this episode, you're looking at your trash with the side eye. I know I sure was and still am. <laughs> I'm a little neurotic about it, but I hope that you begin to just make small changes to reduce some waste, alleviate some pressure on the earth, and then call your representative and start to put real pressure on Um, these big corporations that are ruining our planet. And as always, support Polly Barks, support her work, buy her book, um, so that she can continue to do the incredible work that she does. And thank you for all the support you give to this show. Thank you for subscribing, for sharing, for reviewing. It means the world to me, always. Um, And all your support is incredible. So have an incredible rest of your week, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.